Well, dear listener, welcome. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast coming to you remotely during the Brisbane lockdown, 3rd of August 2021, episode 307. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. Beavering away with a mouse on a on a treadmill is Shay in her apartment. Shay, welcome aboard again. Hi. And also Joe, the tech guy, is somewhere. Joe's just disappeared, but he is there somewhere. Yeah, I don't know why that just did that. Yeah, but Joe's, Joe's there anyway. So it's the three of us, and it's episode 307, and we're going to run through the topics of the last two weeks and talk about what's happened. And there's been a few things. So sit back and relax. If you're in the chat room, say hello and make a comment and share your thoughts, and we'll try and get to your comments if we can. So just a little uh, couple of issues first before we – whoops, don't know what that was. But before we get going, just a few um, personal things. So the court case for the Noosa Temple of Satan is still scheduled for Thursday next week, the 12th of August. I checked with Crown Law and apparently law cases are one of those things that keeps going even in a lockdown because it's just too difficult to reschedule everybody. So as much as possible – Court cases keep going. So at this stage, it's still scheduled for the 12th of August. Hi to Craig in the chat room. Craig, I got your message and I've been too busy to respond, but sorry about that. And just the other thing is I went to a function in The Gap last week. It was like this little arts group, this sort of a community arts place where there's going to be artists hanging stuff up. And as a purveyor of art supplies, I thought I should go. And anyway, John T. Bush, local state member, mm. Labor Party was there. And and I had my mask on and I just said, oh, hello, I'm Trevor. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I recognise you. Where, where do I recognise you from? And I thought to myself, well, I'm a Labor Party member, but I haven't been to any meetings. I really don't, I really don't know how you would have recognised me. I'm not, I just, I was honestly stumped. About five minutes later, I thought, oh, it was probably because you see me in the paper and uh, I'm giving the education minister a hard time. So I think that's how she recognised me behind the mask. <laughs> so anyway, that was that. Um, Shay, lots of stuff for you to get your teeth into in this episode, mm. I reckon. Lots of women's issues, Shay, and you're our mm. women's issues expert. <laughs> <laughs> We've even got a flight attendant issue to go through, and you're a flight attendant expert. Brand damage. If you're watching on the live stream, uh, you'll see Jay there with his fancy background. I made the uh, joke earlier that uh, Jay's taking this live streaming stuff way too literally, but anyway, you'll have to be <laughs> looking at the vision to get that joke. So, Shay, John Coates, Anastasia Palaszczuk. We, Brisbane, won the uh, Olympic bid and there was this scene where there was this, like, press conference. Everybody had their masks on and what is that noise, Joe? What is that when that happens? Anyway, everyone had their masks on and there was this confusion or there was debate about whether Anastasia was going to attend a opening ceremony or not. And John Coates said, you are going to the opening ceremony. And he said, I am still the deputy chair of the candidature leadership group. And so far as I understand, there will be an opening and closing ceremony in 2032. And you're all going to get along there and understand the traditional parts of it, what's involved in the opening ceremony, so that none of you are staying behind and hiding in your rooms. All right? And this was taking a bit of mansplaining. Shay, 
Mm. Was John Cates, you, has he got anything to answer for there? Or? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought Jane Caro nailed it, actually. I think we've all been there in that type of situation before where they just get a telling and takes them by surprise. And she just did the best she could with the resources that she had available to her. And basically she is damned if she does and she's damned if she doesn't. So she she dealt with it as best she could. So was this a case of mansplaining and bullying by John Cates, you think? Absolutely. Right, yep. Yeah. I'm not sure. See, I thought at first maybe you were. Like when you initially saw the footage, did you think, oh, absolutely? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. when I looked at it initially, I thought, yikes, that's really ugly. Mm. But it turns out they're really quite close by all accounts, genuinely mm. good friends, it seems. And mm -hmm. the sort of way it was described was that he was kind of joking in a sarcastic sort of, uh, it, I mean, it didn't translate well. And here's the thing is when everyone's behind masks, it's really hard to tell facial expressions. And mm. if you are being, it's like a debate on Facebook in a Facebook comment page. If you are trying to use sarcasm or something like that, you basically have to say in the comment, you know, sarcasm coming and then insert sarcasm sort of comment because it's hard to read sarcasm in a Facebook comment and it's hard to read if he was doing what he said he was doing. Yes. You're a big one on context. And I pretext. love a bit of context. <laughs> and pretext. And the pretext is they're buddies and buddies joke with each other about mm. things, don't they? Yeah. Well, I think the pretext is he's accustomed to getting his own way, right. that he's a skilled negotiator and that he's unaccustomed to being held to account for the way he speaks to people. That's what I think is the pretext, is that that's a typical way for him to behave and what he didn't expect was the backlash. That's possible. That's what I think. That's possible. Yeah. But it's and I found it really surprising that it was like Anastasia was held responsible for his remarks as well there also seemed to be that in the background of like, oh, well, she got what she wanted because now she can attend the Olympic ceremony. Yeah. Well, that's kind of missing the point, isn't it? Yeah. It, it just depends. It's hard to know whether to believe. It's possible his version of events is possible. I'm simply saying. Yes. And I'm simply yeah. saying that this is one of the problems when people cover their faces. So we used to talk a lot about the burqa and the niqab and and my objection to it was that it was, if I'm just walking down the street or whatever, I really, being able to read somebody's expressions, facial expressions, helps me understand if they're friend or foe. Like you just read a lot in people's faces. And mm. I sort of turned around a little bit after a trip to Japan where everybody was wearing face masks and I thought for some reason I was happy to forgive face masks but I wasn't happy to forgive niqab and burqas. And, but it, I think it just demonstrates one of the difficulties when people cover their face is nuance and sarcasm and saying something that you don't really mean and, in fact, you mean the opposite of it, which you can deliver that meaning with your face. And she was hard to read as well because it looked behind the mask that she was 
coward and and yeah. sort of under pressure and feeling it. But she could have been smiling away and and enjoying mm. the joke, and we just wouldn't know. I guess that's possible. Yeah. So yeah, so I just thought that was an interesting example where it's just mm. hard to know what really happened, and I could easily imagine it went either of the two ways, the one you described or the one he described. So, mm. oh, yeah. I thought and when you cool. go back over the footage, you can hear the laughter. Indeed. There is laughter. So that was confusing. Yes. So the audience did seem to take it as jest, but then again, that maybe that doesn't make any difference at all either. Yeah. So Bronwyn in the chat room says she understood John Coates to be exactly as Shay described. So got one there saying... Roman, do you see, though, that it's possible it might have been the other way or you just totally discount that? Like, it's hard to know. So, Adias Straits in the chat room says, a bit later, can I bring up the topic of social media and whether it's promotion or not? Sure, John, you can bring that up. And Craig was in the chat room and he sent me a message, which I haven't got to read fully, but he was really, I think, concerned about what... Well, he was talking a little bit about my discussion with Cam... Uh, and psychopaths and I think sort of objecting to some of the broad descriptions that were made there. So we might get to that later. All right, next topic, still to do with the Olympics, and this is to do with the Norwegian, the Norwegian women's beach handball team. Did you see this, Shay, without me sending it to you or you, did you see yeah. it or not? Yeah. I'm part of a, a Facebook page that's a campaign group called Collective Shout. Right. And they're non-political, non-religious, but they campaign against sexploitation of women. Lately, their main campaign has been against Honey Burdette, which is the lingerie store that's in shopping centres. And the way that they advertise basically soft porn in shopping centres. Yes. So they've latched on to this as well um, and started the hashtag let them wear shorts. Yeah. Getting... Lots of signatures on a petition and building momentum. So what's the name of the group? Collective Shout. Collective Shout. So with the Norwegian handball team, the women's team was fine after the players wore shorts instead of the required bikini bottoms. And I've got on the screen, dear listener, if you're watching on the live stream, a picture from the uh, 2019 when they were in their bikinis uh, bottoms and I'll put up on the screen a picture of them in the shorts they wore, which they were fined for wearing. And the interesting thing, just going back to the previous one, when you look at the guys, they're just in normal shorts and singlets. <laughs> like, it's a really st- bad look the way the guys are dressed in a singlet and a pair of shorts, and the girls are obviously required to just show lots of skin. It's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that picture will probably be the one that appears as a cover for this episode. So they were fined and the International Handball Federation requires women to wear bikini bottoms with a close fit and cut at an upward angle towards the top of the leg. The sides of the bikini bottoms must be no more than four inches. Men, on the other hand, can wear shorts as long as four inches above their knees, as long as they're not too baggy. And a spokeswoman for the International Handball Federation said on Tuesday night that she didn't know the reason for the rules. Quote, (laughs) we're we're looking into it internally, she said. I'll bet. (laughs) And she later said Norway was the only country that had officially complained. Globally, we know that other countries like to play in bikinis, for example, especially in South America. And you could well imagine Brazilians 
loving it. I can well mm. imagine it. But hey, what it's it's not necessary attire no. in terms of the sport. And it's a pretty yeah. poor standard when the guys can wear whatever they like and the girls haven't to just show skin. So mm. Yeah. So so good on the women's Norwegian team for kicking up a stink and saying we're not putting up with this. So the other associated story with that was, did you hear about the two-time Great Britain Paralympian Olivia Breen? So she is some sort of long jumper, I think, and she has cerebral palsy. And she was at the English Championships in Bedford and she was told that her sprinting briefs were too short and inappropriate. Did you see that one, Shay, at all? Like, how? It's just, yeah, just, like, it's, well, it's hard really sure. because the reckoning is, is so slow in the piece. Like, there's things that we just went along with for so many years. It's just, like, so absurd that we tolerated those kinds of remarks. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it takes some time yeah. to realise. I mean, mm. Let the Brazilians wear bikinis if they want to. Let the Norwegians wear shorts if they want to. That's let, right. Let the gymnasts wear the unitards if they want indeed, to. Indeed, that's what's come out now as well. You're right. Mm. I forgot to add that to the list. So normally the gymnasts are showing a fair bit of skin and one of the teams mm. in particular has sort of worn a leotard-type outfit. So whatever just works functionally for the person, if it doesn't give an unfair advantage, then just let them do whatever they want to goodness so yeah so there we go she felt very embarrassed when she'd been told her outfit was too skimpy so there we go yep shay i'm gonna get rid of that one there get rid of don't need the screen anymore shay still on women's issues did you have a school formal when you were uh in grade 12 yes i did did any guys was it a bit now were you a co-ed you were a co-ed or school yeah i was at a co-ed school Ah, but i also went to an all-girls school for a time when i was about 13. okay did the all-girls school when they have a formal did they invite boys a lot i'm pretty sure they did yeah Mm. so morton college in outskirts of brisbane and the bay area they've come under fire for a so it's a girls school Mm -hmm. and they've made a decision that banned students from bringing male partners to the upcoming semi-formal. And basically this comes about because last year due to COVID, they weren't allowed to bring boys along. And this year they decided that was such a good time last year without the boys, we're not going to have them. (laughs) Was it just male partners though? I think so, yeah. I don't think there's any issues of uh, same-sex partnerships in this particular one just yet. Okay, because that's usually the reason. It is. But, no, this is just an all-girls school and can't bring any males along because we had such a good time last year without them. And some people are up in arms. And, Shay, did you have any thoughts about... If you were conducting, if you were a principal of an all-girls school, would you be running it with or without boys or you just wouldn't care? If I had trialled it the previous year and found it really worked, mm-hmm. then I can't see why I wouldn't at least float the idea. Yep. Certainly I found at the semi-formal and formal that I went to, boys, the boy that I took both years was a different boy, didn't really like to be in photos, 
didn't want to dance, didn't want to do any of the particular things you'd expect. Yep. So, you know, basically why put the boys through it? They don't want to be there. Fine. Right. Fun for the girls. Right. Okay. So I don't get the upset. I don't get the tragedy of it, frankly. Okay. So, okay. But if you were a girl and you wanted to bring a boy along and were told we can't, well, for a start, this was a unilateral decision from up high on the headmaster or headmistress, I think, who said, that's it, not doing it. So there wasn't any consultation. So that's on the one, you know, initially a bit mean. You'd think you would, as you said, float the idea means ask students what yeah, they think I don't yeah. think that happened so so uh, just looking at some of the comments here i like this one <laughs> I could say this from <laughs> here's a comment that is an interesting one i completely understand why teachers would say the night would be more fun with just girls because frankly it would be however the night isn't just about having fun it's about having those awkward interactions with boys and learning from those interactions. What do you think of that oh, theory, Shay? a comment in the chat. But, no, you're right, it's from your notes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think that really bolsters the case. That's not the point I would have taken if I were campaigning to have boys allowed. Right. Awkward interactions. Right. Is that the best, is that the best reason to invite partners? I don't know if it's the best, but it is a reason. <laughs> is How this, would you make what is, what is what is the telos? What is the purpose of a formal? Is it to have fun, or is it to force people to have uncomfortable confronting conversations and times <laughs> as a as a maturing process? What is the purpose of a formal? Is it being forced we, to dance? Yes, <laughs> and have your photo taken. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that was the purpose of for us. We like the girls just want to look beautiful and yeah. have their photo taken, yeah. and that was that was the point of me going. But now, like I was visiting a school two weeks ago, and often that's how teachers and principals get their students in line. So that's how they get their school fees paid. Oh, they get a whole. They get people to really clean their act up so they can attend formals. Yes, the threat of not so, being able to attend the formal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to do it that way, then perhaps you'd better consider that your students might like to bring a date. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting one as well. I could see the argument on both sides. It really depends on what you think the purpose of a formal is. So, did you go to a formal? Were yes. they a thing? Yes. I went to an all boys school, and basically, when they organized the formal, they said, Do you need us? Well, the guy who organised the formal said, do you need us to get you a date from All, <laughs> from all Hallows School? Because there was just a ready supply of girls from All Hallows that they would rustle up if you needed a date or, or, you, or you sorted yourself. And I didn't have a girlfriend, but I knew this girl when because I was working as a hamburger flipper at McDonald's. So uh -huh. I asked this girl and she agreed to be my partner for the formal, but we weren't like girlfriend, boyfriend type stuff. But, mm. She had a driver's license and could pick me up and take me there. So that was good. <laughs> good thinking. Yeah. yeah. So she made, she made like, she, it was great. It was better that she was there than not there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, I don't know. I don't look back on it fondly in any sense. It was kind no. of weird. It is a weird thing. Yeah. It was probably one of the reasons why I was determined that my kids would go to a, 
co-ed school just so it yeah. wouldn't be weirded out. Because, look, on the other hand, I know with my kids who went to a co-ed school, they had fantastic formals, like mm. at the best of times. So yes. we had the pre-formals at our house and just kids everywhere Aww. and it was really lovely. Yeah. They had a great yeah. time. So, mm. yeah, I think another reason to send your kids to a co-ed school if possible. Mm. Yeah. Right. Okay, so that's uh, gender issues done and dusted. Thank you, Shay, for helping us through that minefield. <laughs> so we need to talk about freedom. Just to get us in the mood, I'll just play a little audio. They may take our life, but they'll never take our freedom! Yes, Alba Gubra, Scotland forever take our lives but they'll never take our freedom lockdowns freedom new south wales oh where do we start where do we start your thoughts shay or joe on the protests in sydney melbourne brisbane did you go and protest by any chance no of course we did knowing knowing mel gibson's Rather nutty beliefs. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he was an anti-masker. No, wouldn't surprise. No. Um, but yes, I, I saw a beautiful post today that said, effectively, we're all fatigued from this because those of us who are taking it seriously are protecting those who don't. And those who don't are running around going, oh, it's all a stupid thing. You know, look how fine I am. And the reason they're fine is because of the work that the rest of us are doing in protecting them. Mm. So those of us who are taking it seriously, paying the price for those who go on about their freedoms and refuse to wear a mask, and generally the reason that they haven't ended up in hospital is because of the rest of us. Yep. So they're free free loaders on society. Yes. And they just have this view that their individual freedom has no responsibility attached to it, that they can enjoy the benefits that society has without mm-hmm. any responsibility to contribute back to society in any way. It's just take, 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 and not any give, give, give at all in this. Well, you, you know that statistically it's safer for me to drive home pissed from the pub than it is for me to walk home. So for me it's safer. Mm. So my freedom mm. should be that I'm allowed to get in the car and drive home drunk because it's safer for me. Mm. Yes. Funnily enough, we've decided to make some rules to try and stop you from doing that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we make rules all the time restricting people's freedom when there's a good reason to <laughs> for the protection of everybody. And the fact but that isn't we- it more that they're like steadily alarmed about this slippery slope type conversation. Like I get the impression from people I see on my Facebook who are on the fringes of this QAnon business mm. and they they genuinely believe that governments are corrupt, which you could probably make, you could make a case for. They genuinely are alarmed about what they're seeing. So they see themselves as like, conquerors not as selfish people yes and that 
has to be, I think, handled, doesn't it? Well, they also don't necessarily believe that the virus is real in any way. As, or maybe that it is real, but not, certainly not as dangerous as it's made out to be. It, it's like the people January 6th with the capital sort of uprising. If you actually believe the election was stolen from Donald Trump, yes. then you were and- really a, 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 a democratic freedom fighter. If you believed that, you mm. were upholding democracy and freedom because you, th- you believed the election was rigged. So if you've got a misconceived view about lockdowns, you're right, Shay, you could potentially be doing this thinking morally you're actually in the, on the right side of the ledge. It's just that nobody else understands it the way that it needs to be understood because they're yes. being manipulated by mainstream media or something like that. So there's mm. something, I guess what you're saying is there's something admirable about the people who are protesting. In that. I'm not saying that they're admirable. I'm just kind of glad they're a little bit more out in the open. Yes. Like the gentleman who was charged for punching the horse, yes. he wasn't able to get legal help for five days he was in custody because he refused to have his test. Ah, now, okay. that is somebody who is really standing his ground over being tested. Mm. That is someone who is really conscious that there is some consequence around being tested and really mistrusting the system, mm. which, like, part of me does understand that is a pretty new requirement to receive legal help. Yep. So I guess what I'm well, saying is that I I understand kind of the the rage and the lack of explanation and, yeah, that's all. And I'm kind of glad they're out in the open because now we do have to deal with it. And, and we can arrest eat. them more easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, maybe that's one thing, but, yeah. yeah. Um, Carl, Carl Sagan warned us of this. Right. Where, where people would believe that their beliefs were equivalent to your science. Mm. That, that that it's a matter of yeah, which science you pick rather than science being a process of discovery and of continual learning. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's tricky. These people honestly believe that we've all been manipulated, that these lockdowns are way over the top compared to the risks that are actually there, and that they are freedom fighters and democracy fighters on behalf of the sheeple who don't get it, so they're doing us yeah. a favour. Yeah, but don't some of the sheeple and the QAnon people have some things in common where we both think shit has got to change? Like it mm. really has galvanised some of the social issues. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean. I, I think that there's discussion about the social cost of lockdowns. Hmm. And I think this is a very, very good argument for a UBI or something equivalent. This, this discussion. Yeah. Universal basic Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the discussion that effectively society, if society wants these people to take the hit to protect society, then society has an obligation to make sure that they don't lose their houses, that there's food on the table, that 
they're looked after. And the same with vaccines, that the people who really are injured should be looked after by society because they have paid the, paid, paid the price. You know, there is a very small chance that a vaccine is going to cause injury because they've put themselves at risk. We should cover their costs. Yeah. If people, I, pro- I, I th- if people are wanting to protest, they could protest about the lack of support for people uh, who have, yes. been, have been forced not to work. Meanwhile, capital can continue to grow and earn income. And, and fly into space. Yes, indeed. So uh, that's what people could protest about, but people seem to be quite meek and mild on that. I saw an essential report where even Labor Party people had thought that the government support was around about adequate, and I really thought, wow, it just surprised me that the, there wasn't enough people thinking of all the billions of dollars that have been spent so far, what's another couple of billion? And how about taking some off Jerry Harvey and giving it back to the people who need it? But no, it's sort of surprising that people weren't looking at it and going, we've just got to give people who can't work more money because it's too tough. But there's not mm. really enough protest about that, I don't think. So, No, it seems to be very selfish protest. Mm. It's uh, I deserve the right to go and work. Yes. Rather than the, okay, let's lock down society, but let's pay people properly. Yes. And, it, you know, there's just a real lack of recognition that in our society we have restrictions on freedom all the time, like you were saying with driving home drunk. And I saw this post, which I'll read a little bit about, which was, Welcome to the Freedom Cafe. We trust you make your own choices if you want to wear a face mask. And in the same spirit of individual liberty... We allow our staff to make their own choices about the safety procedures they prefer to follow as they prepare and serve your food. We encourage employees to wash their hands after using the bathroom, but understand that some people may be allergic to certain soaps or may prefer not to wash their hands. It is not our place to tell them what to do. We understand you may be used to chicken that has been cooked at 165 degrees. We do have to respect that some of our cooks may have seen a meme or a YouTube video saying that 100 degrees is fine and we don't want to encroach on their beliefs. Some servers may wish to touch your food as they serve it. There is no reason that a healthy person with clean hands can't touch your food. We will take their word for it that they are healthy and clean. And it goes on, so some of you may get sick, but almost everyone survives food poisoning. We think you'll agree that it's a small (laughs) price to pay for the sweet freedom of no one ever being told what to do, especially not for the silly reason of keeping strangers healthy. I thought that was a good example, yeah. Yes. Yeah, people just think freedom, 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 and they don't get that uh, your freedom's being curtailed all the time for good reasons, yeah. Mm. Mm. And um, I was reading there a little while ago, I was listening to it on Audible around, I forget the title, but it's a book, it's a really amazing book, Five Years of Writing Around Domestic, Look What You Made Me Do. And she makes the case at the end about how when Australia is well known for when we have a public health emergency, we are known to put the reforms in. Right. So, for instance, she used the example of drink driving, as you as Joe did, about how she didn't check, we didn't check community standards, we didn't go down to the pub and check how people felt about whether or not we would let them drink drive. We just brought it in. 
Mm. Same with cigarettes. We didn't, we were actually taken, Australia was taken to court about some of our laws that we brought in around plain packaging. Mm -hmm. And we, and Julia Gillard still implemented them. And you can make the same case for vaccinations and a whole range of these things. It's, it's a public health emergency. This is what we know we do. Mm. The like, why are we surprised? Mm. The problem is these people don't see the emergency. They think it's a beat up, that it's not as bad mm. as what, it's being made out to be, and therefore these things are over the top. And maybe a, a limit, you know, a time limit on these powers mm. would be yeah. a, a, a suitable compromise yes. to say that. And, and yeah, there was the whole Dan Andrews, oh, look, he's extended his emergency powers again. But the whole point of the emergency powers is you have to go back to Parliament. You have to justify mm. it. Mm. And, and I think it does. There's there's a, a level of accountability there. Unfortunately, with yeah, the the September the 11th, we passed a whole raft of spying laws yeah. which didn't have an end date and have never been repealed. And I think we need to be careful of knee jerk reactions, so that we do have suitable safety when there is a real risk, mm. but that it's not there all the time. Mm. Yes, in times of of fear laws get passed and then they're in the books forever. It's hard to turn them back. Mm. So, look, really, one of the since we last spoke, the big thing has been the outbreak in New South Wales where they've been able to get by without too many troubles in recent times. Let me just play a little bit of uh, Gladys Berejiklian being interviewed. Here we go. Why, you know what I, why do Melbourne, right, or Victoria... You know, when we get a couple of cases, we, we, we kind of control it and it's and it calms down very quickly. What happens in Victoria where it just gets away from them? I keep saying to people, it's not for me to comment on what other governments do. Yeah, but, but off but the record, what do you think? I, I've just got the... We've got the confidence that our system's in place, our public's used to doing things a particular way, and it's a question of trust. And it's harder... It's much easier to lock down because you don't have to worry about anything. It's yeah. much more difficult to let people move around when the virus is circulating, and that's been a challenge for us, but it's been a worthwhile challenge. I hope we've demonstrated to other states that it is possible to manage an outbreak and not shut down a city and not stop businesses and not stop people being employed and not stop people having a relatively normal existence. And Those comments have not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to a BBC podcast that were talking to a couple of epidemiologists and they were saying that worked for the original variant, but the problem with Delta is it's so transmissible that the track and trace people cannot keep up. So where you have a relatively low R0, which is the number of people each person can infect, your track and trace can keep up with that. But once you start getting above a threshold, you just can't trace the people as quickly as they are spreading it. Yeah. But was the New South Wales track and trace all that flash compared to, say, Victoria? Was it that good? According to the epidemiologists that I listened to, they said, yes, it was. Right. It was significantly better than Victoria. They said Victoria's health system had been allowed to decay, right. been run down, whereas New South Wales, their chief health officer, had come back with lessons learned from overseas and had really revamped the department and had put the skills in place that meant that they could get a suitable track and trace up and running relatively quickly. And what about Queensland? Where did it fit in this scale of quality track and trace? I don't know. Right. It wasn't mentioned. See, because it a, really was okay. Sydney, Melbourne. 
Okay. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to – I know you shared that with us, but I didn't get a chance to – It's a long podcast, though. Yeah. yeah. You can put the link up if you want for people who want to find yeah. that and listen to it. But, you know, I, I just know here in Queensland, I just thought we've just been lucky. And I just thought Victoria was unlucky, it seemed to me. And it seemed to me that Sydney was lucky and their luck's run out. And as a leader of a state, I would never have made that comment, I'd like to think – because I would have just had the self-awareness that we've just been there but for the grace of God, <laughs> go I, is the sort of thing that she should have been thinking as she was looking at it. So, yeah, it hasn't aged well. And there are other comments where she was asked in that same interview with, it's ridiculous that we're, they're playing a recording. The, the best interviews we get are from Kyle and Jackie O interviewing Berejiklian, but there you go. Sometimes these politicians appear on these shows expecting a free ride and just the odd things come out. So, But she was asked in that one, oh, are you going to give any of your vaccine to Victoria? And she said, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, the feds might give them a little bit of extra of something that they've got tucked away in a cupboard somewhere, but we're not going to give them any. Can't do that. And then, you know, as soon as the New South Wales outbreak happens, oh, we need extra. No sense of... Hypocrisy, double standards. No, look, I know I said you guys can't have it, but I'd really like some now and I get it now. It was just, what can you say, really? <laughs> so that's uh, that's Gladys Berejiklian. I'm going to put on the screen, with a bit of luck, is what people think about the lockdowns. Thinking about the latest COVID-19 lockdown in your state, do you think your state government locked down too harsh, locked down about right, did not lock down hard enough? And it's only New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. And Victoria, 71% thought that the state had locked down at about the right level. And South Australia, 85% thought that the state had locked down at the right level. But in New South Wales, it was only 39 And in terms of did not lock down hard enough, Victoria and South Australia were 6% and 9%, but on this question of did not lock down hard enough, New South Wales was 50%. I think that's fairly damning of what people thought about what they did. That's changed in the last week because I looked a week ago and they were saying that they thought they were about right. Okay. Well, that was the essential report that I was quoting there, quite recent. So you were looking at something how long ago? I thought it was the essential report, and it was how did everyone think that New South Wales had handled the latest outbreak? Yeah, but that would be and the other states said it was poorly, but yeah. uh, New South Wales people thought they'd done it well. Yeah, I think even in this essential report, I didn't gather all of it. The sort, right. of, the sort of general impression of are you happy with Gladys and the state government was still not too bad. But the, the but the statistic of how do you think they went in terms of the lockdown, was it hard enough, that just got absolutely bashed on that one. So there was a little bit of a disconnect there which might come through. Over. Well, it was, it was the fact that for so long she just refused to utter the words lockdown. And it was, yeah, they were trying to drag it out of her mouth and she was refusing to say it. Yeah, it was like Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> They get like that, don't they? They got to learn from like Peter Beattie was around for years. Like it's such an easy thing to do. You just do the Peter Beattie thing. Say, oh, <laughs> sorry, got it wrong. Promise, we're going to fix it. 
Yeah. You're right. We were wrong. We're done. And that just takes the oxygen yeah. out of it. Yeah. They've got to learn from Peter Beattie. So, so good luck to New South Wales. Mm. I'm, I'm working on a theory that they'll never get back to zero and yeah. that they okay. will do some sort of, oh, we'll have this local authority more locked down, but then these other authorities can basically do whatever they want. They'll just have little different districts with different rules and and just kind of give in. It's, it's what I'm thinking. Anybody else agree with that theory? But I... They'll be locked out of the rest of Australia, I think, if they do. Yes. And yeah. I, I can't see that politically that's... Yeah, that might work for a period of time, but I can't see them surviving that. Yeah. Well, she's going to get as many vaccinated as she can. That's the goal, right? Mm. So she gets as many vaccinated as she can in August and then shrugs her shoulders and says, right, we're good. Yeah. I've got 80, 80% of the 50% of the people that I need. <laughs> you know, just skew it and spin it. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, that's the other thing is with the latest outbreak in Brisbane. One day, what was it, Sunday? Of the 13 new cases, 10 were under the age of 10. And we can't vaccinate the under 15s or whatever the, the cohort is. So there's the risk of, you know, it coming home from schools. Mm. It's interesting in uh, Sydney, the number of local, local councils they have there, there are just, I don't know the exact figure, but their local councils are really small districts and Sydney I don't know it might have 12 or 15 councils I know around Bondi like the Bondi Junction shopping centre like straddles three councils so when they're trying to approve something like that just getting the roadworks and the building approvals for things like that are really difficult so coming from Brisbane we've got one of the largest local council organisations in the world like it's the Brisbane City Council's big and it's got a big budget and it, whether it's Labor or Liberal it tends to operate pretty well the Brisbane City Council I think but yeah Sydney's just got a lot of local councils it's quite an archaic system where they really need to do something and Clifford says Trev Melbourne is the same lots of local government authorities means lots of elected politicians yeah and just these you know, you're in the middle of the city and you're crossing over from one local council to another. Very hard to get properly organised with your transport and all the rest of it. So so Brisbane's ahead of the game on that one. Where was I getting to? Uh, yeah, you know, Sydney, look, they're going to get to the point where they just say, if you want to get into a pub or a restaurant, you're going to have to show some proof of vaccination and so... Everyone's just going to scurry for the AstraZeneca in order that they can get a some sort of vaccination proof and get in and do things, and they'll just force or, the young or, people to take it. Or just forge the certificate like they're doing in Russia. Okay, but surely there can be a certificate that's tamper-proof, Joe? As a tech guy, Joe, that can't be that hard. Oh, I mean, the easiest way is to have a website that you're... Yes searchable on but you still get medical staff who will take a bribe or there are unfortunately members of the medical community who are anti-vaccine mm. who are amenable to um 
updating records to reflect things that aren't necessarily true. Mm, yeah. They're few and far between, but unfortunately they do exist. Mm. Apparently in France, they are quite a, a heavy anti-vaxxer type community, the French. They're not keen on Yes, it. they're heavily into their homeopathy. Are they? You were aware of that yes. before? I wasn't aware of it until I read this article. Oh, no, no. My mother-in-law is very much, but, you know, even just going into a pharmacy, the, the rows and rows of homeopathy and natural remedies. Right. I didn't know that about France, but apparently that is a bit yeah. of a French thing. So what French President Emmanuel Macron has done is he's created this health pass and it's mandatory to have this health pass, which is proof of vaccination, in order to enter cultural and leisure venues, such as movie theatres and museums. And it's going to be extended to restaurants, bars and public transport, long distance. And... Opposition parties denounced what they call an authoritarian move, saying the government is depriving citizens of their freedom of choice without a meaningful debate in Parliament, and the new measures are credited with boosting vaccination campaign, which in previous weeks had lost steam. So, Joe, you're saying they're anti-vaxxer, but once Macron has brought in these things, saying, well, if you want to eat a baguette and drink some wine, you're going to need it, and they're now... About 60% of the French are in favour of the health pass and there's a remarkable level of support given their previous hesitancy. So... They do love their bureaucracy in France. Yeah. So anyway, it's just an insight to what will happen in New South Wales where people are going to be hesitant about vaccines and the rest of the country is going to say, lift your game because we're not letting you out. And, <laughs> and they're going to introduce these things. And young people are going to take AstraZeneca just so that they can get to a pub and have a drink. I, that's that's the iron fist prediction of what's happening in New South Wales. And what happened in France is also happening. The Greek government introduced a vaccine requirements for venues such as bars, movie theatres, and Italy has followed suit, and Britain says it was planning to make it uh, mandatory for nightclub goers. So either of you guys have a problem with a vaccine passport proof thing? to get into venues. No. Anybody doubt um, that's where we're heading? Uh, I doubt that. I doubt that Scott Morrison's actually got the guts, but I think, I, I, I think he'll leave it to the states to implement as they already referred. Or even the local councils. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I see it as I, the obvious and easiest way to have us moving around safely. It, it depends on the level of vaccination. I think if we don't get above the safe threshold, we will need it. But if we get above, if we get to the point where effectively the disease is no longer endemic, then I don't know that we'll need it. You don't think we'll need, you think we'll get back to zero, is that what you're saying? Well, I, I think, think yeah, with enough people, will. I think with enough people vaccinated. Right. There'll be outbreaks. There'll be pockets. The same as with measles. Mm. We've now got vaccination rates high enough that you get a pocket of anti-vaxxers that all suddenly go down with measles. But when it hits larger society, most people are vaccinated and it, it dies out very quickly. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's all ahead of us. So just in terms of mandating medical things, is this something that we've never done before or do we have some experience of it? In the chat room, Clifford says, how about a barcode tattoo? That would be something you could do too. <laughs> On the back of my head. 
<laughs> the problem is anybody could tattoo. Like you can have a fake tattoo, I guess. Somehow they can <laughs> they work out the barcode and just copy it. I don't know. Nothing's beyond cheating, is it? So his current existing medical mandates, so in Australia, so don't worry about Italy and France and the Greeks, we've got a no jab, no play policy, removes entitlements and childcare subsidies from unvaccinated families, current law in Australia. Health workers are required to be protected from most diseases, including receiving annual influenza shots. Does your your mother's a health worker, Shay? Mm-hmm. Does she have to get, as a matter of law, a flu shot? You don't know. Uh, I don't know. Mm. No, I don't know. I know that, like, flight attendants, their employment requires them to get measles, rubella, hep C before they're employed mm. and take a full medical and have proof of that, but the flu shot is optional. Right. Okay. Arrivals in Australia have to hold an international vaccination certificate if they've stayed overnight or longer in a country designated to be yellow fever infected. Yeah. And here's a good one. Plumbers have to be up to date on their hepatitis B vaccinations. That's going it's on. a high-risk job. Right. Oh, okay. Sewerage. Right. Is that yes. Right. Okay. There we go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, sewage treatment workers are the same. There we go. When I, when I migrated here, I had to have a negative HIV test. Right. And also I had to have a chest X-ray to prove that I didn't have tuberculosis. There we go. Mm. What about Crohn's disease? How'd you get by with that? I actually was diagnosed with IBS before my medical, and I wasn't diagnosed with Crohn's until I'd received my visa. So we should be screening people to keep 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 ex- <laughs> yeah, obviously keep, keep people like you out. <laughs> I'm still paying more in tax than I'm getting back. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, you snuck through the system. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, there we go. I just jumped ahead. Now I'm going to go back. I'm all over shop with this one, dear listener. Let me just see. I know I had Shay is our resident expert on women's affairs and, <laughs> and youth matters. We require you, Shay, to explain when when the when the 25 to 35 year olds, you know, according to opinion polls, are thinking crazy. Here's another one. Apparently, it was a flight attendant. Who brought a Sydney cider across the border from Griffith to Queensland? On behalf of all flight attendants, Shay. Can... <laughs> as soon as I heard that, because I started my career at Qantas Link on the Turbo Prop, so as soon as I heard that in the news, I knew exactly who it was. And don't say anything that will defame her or 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 identify yeah. her. But she's already been identified. Yeah, you've got some yeah. inside knowledge that you share with us about that. Yes. That. Uh, just that her credibility had improved because I didn't think all her bikey affiliations were 100% the truth. Oh, right. There we go. You had doubted that. Right. (laughs) Well, the fact that she'd allegedly dated the cop killer was what the the, the rags were plastering around the place. Right. Talk about that. It didn't seem credible, but now it sort of seems Mm. possible. Look. Airline hostesses are just a, you know, a representative of our society in general and, you know, they've got all sorts. They've got podcasters and they've got bikey associates and it's just a, yeah, they just draw on the normal human experience. That's like 
maybe one percent of us even though i know recently there was an article about organized crime at Qantas. i'd say it's a very very low bikey affiliation among flight attendants but yeah. i know when cops and other people say this i'm like yeah yeah yep. so. <laughs> hey, um... but i do just want to say one thing i'm glad she did go and get tested yes right because she could she she didn't seem to be in any obvious health problems she went and got tested because she was experiencing symptoms so i know it took a long time i know she's in deep shit i i know she's been you know but i would just like to say she did go and get tested and however it it looks like he wasn't cooperative and yes and she went off sick the day before she went to pick him up and then lied about her exposures which meant that Qantas thought she was exposed earlier than she had been. And that's why they were panicking about all the regional flights that they thought she'd been on when she hadn't even met up with him and caught the COVID from him yet. Mm -hmm. So the chance of her keeping her job after that, I think, is very low. Very low. Very low. So we'll be even less spiky affiliation among flight attendants after this. One less, potentially. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Norman in the chat room says, when I was a kid, we had compulsory chest x-rays for adults in Victoria as a control measure for TB. There we go. Hmm. Yeah, Dad was saying they used to have, there were bulk x-rays. Literally, they'd get a mobile x-ray van turned up at the school right. and they'd all be x-rayed to check for TB. Right. Back, back in the 50s. Well, in the really olden days when they were measuring people for their shoes, they used to x-ray their feet. And yes. Every, yes. So Dad said that as well. Before they he realized, remembers going to before, the shop. Before they realised that wasn't a good idea to X-ray people so much. But yeah, they had X-ray well, machines in the as a fitting mechanism in shoe shops. Apparently, it was the shoe shop attendants that got the worst doses. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, when you're getting your teeth X-rayed or something, and they all scurry out the door as they're zapping you, you, you <laughs> the impression is not a good idea to hang around. But yeah, you're right. Lots of people. I mean, we laugh, but it's just one of those mm. things that. In, uh, they just didn't know any better, and it seemed like a it's great like way to radium finish girls. Radium you, you, girls, you were, yeah. They used to paint the uh, luminescent hands, uh, the the watches. Yes, and so they'd be sat there painting the dials of the watches with flu- uh, luminescent paint, which is radioactive, and they they would lick the brushes to get a finer tip on them. Ah. And, you know, at the time it was thought to be harmless, so they thought it was a bit of a laugh and used to paint their teeth with it uh, so that they'd go into a room with the lights out and just grin and their, their teeth would light up. Uh, and so they, they stories of people who'd worked in these factories and what they used to do just because they thought it was fun, only to find out actually it was poisonous. Probably with that sort of contact, it would only take a couple of years before people suddenly started losing tongues and teeth and things like that. Possibly. Yeah. Hopefully that didn't go on for decades and then appear decades later, thereby catching. I I don't know. I mean, at one stage it was radium water was sold as a cure-all. You know, the the usual snake oil salesman jumped on because they discovered radioactivity and therefore it must be good for you. There are some very scary – and there was also kids' kids experiment kits that came with a little bottle of – radioactive something that you could do various experiments with. Right. 
<laughs> and you tell kids today that and they won't believe you, you know. <laughs> it's like the four Yorkshiremen. We'll just tell the most terrible. Well, you know, well, the guy I play squash with, now Noel is only 10 years older than me and when he was a high school student at Mitchelton High School, the school had its own armoury. Like the kids used to go in and get guns and head out onto the firing range and practice shooting and yeah. all sorts of stuff. We had an armoury. Right. You did In fact, I, I, yes. two schools I went to, one was an army school, yeah. so you kind of expect that, but the other one was a standard Stock standard private school. school. Oh, private school, yeah. So it would be called a, a public school in the UK. But, yes, we had an armoury. Yes. With Lee Enfields and a couple of Brens and various tutu rifles. This sounds very familiar. My friend Noel says this is exactly what they had at Mitchelton High School, and that wasn't that long ago. When you think about it, it would have been, you know, the chances of a school shooter in those days were minimal because the kids could have gone into the into the gun room and loaded themselves up and taken the guy on, and they had training to do it. Like, it was amazing what they used to... Like, kids would be lying down and and shooting on the firing range... And some of these guns, instead of a recoil, it would, like, drag them forward, the force of the gun. And if you weren't heavy enough because you were such a small kid, the supervisor would, as you're lying down on your tummy and firing this gun, somebody would have to stand on your feet to stop you from being dragged forward by the the forward coil of this gun. Crazy stuff like that that they were doing. The... British Army, when they introduced the SA-80, decided to make a cadet version because it was a semi-auto. Right. So they took the gas parts out, and the cocking handle on an SA-80 is forward. And the cadets, the arms weren't long enough to reach that, so they tied a bit of string on the cocking handle. <laughs> so they had to cock it for every round. Right. Uh, and it required a fair amount of effort to pull it back to cock it. And if you didn't pull it back hard enough the spent round would inverse inside the breech and then go backwards <laughs> into the breech. It was a really, really bad design. There you go. These are the things that used to go on. Yeah. Amazing. So at King's School, though, something far more serious happened. One of the teachers attended a lockdown protest march and he was sacked. What do we think of that? What do you think, a teacher being sacked for attending the lockdown protest march? And there was proof of it because it was in his uh, social media stuff and he'd said something like, I don't believe in living in fear. I don't believe the propaganda. I do not believe in unjust house arrest. I stand for all students. I stand for all families who are stranded, isolated and suffering. I stand for freedom. I love you. Uh, He got sacked. So the concern is that somebody who doesn't believe in a virulent disease Mm. is in close contact with large numbers of people every day. Mm. Okay. Um, So he was a risk because he was, well, so that's the argument. It's more because he was likely to spread it because he would be unlikely to take precautions. Is that the reasoning here? I don't know that that was their reasoning, but that that would be my reasoning. That would be your, okay. I've, I've, I've heard of people on mine sites being sacked at the weekend because the boss drove past and saw them mowing the lawn in thongs and said, you have the wrong attitude to safety, you're a liability on my mine site. Really? Yes. Mm. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So I've, I've heard of people uh, driving onto sites with a ladder in their ute and the guy's saying, turn around, you're not coming on here with a ladder. Those things are dangerous. <laughs> like we use cherry pickers here if we need to get up high on anything. Yep. Yeah. But I don't know, a teacher unrelated to his work, who was he, a maths teacher, English teacher, could he still do his job? Was that affecting the way he performed his job? I'm not so sure about that one. I don't think Well, that. as long as he was teaching from behind a glass screen. Uh, is that really an argument to say that he was more likely to transmit the disease? What if there was some medical test that said, oh, this person's more likely to be a super spreader than another one? Would you say, oh, that's a reason to sack them? No. I mean, I just... Just or or to move them to a job where they weren't in contact with large numbers of people. Mm. I just think it's a bit rough, that one. I just don't think it's associated what with the job. What, do you what think? does he teach? What's that, Shane? Yeah, go what ahead, Shane. What does he teach? It didn't say. Yeah. Whether say. he was trying to brainwash the kids or not, I think he was just a, a liability in terms of he would not take suitable precautions that would make him considerably more likely to to bring the virus into school and spread it. But only until recently were they even, like, putting in proper measures for schools. Yeah. Like I said, I visited a school two weeks ago and the assistant principal laughed. He said, you can take your mask off because apparently we're immune. Lol. Right. Like as a joke. Yeah. No, but a lot of the students, it's not mandated that they wear masks. Mm. So I don't know. It's like. You know, if his yeah, job was to teach medical safety procedures, maybe he's inadequate for the job. But if his job was just a normal teacher, I just don't think mm. that's right myself. Because it's, it's like we say in a religious school, a teacher who teaches math. What's their job to teach math? It doesn't matter whether they're religious or not. That, so the, we look, we concern ourselves with the function that they do and we object to religious schools wanting to sack them because they're not of the right faith. We say that's irrelevant to the job you're doing. Yeah, I just sort of think to a large extent the fact that he's an anti-lockdown guy. And attended an illegal protest. Mm. Yeah, but hey... If he, if he was a, if he was a drunk driver, should he be sacked? Just because you breach the law, I mean, obviously, if you're a kitty fiddler, you get sacked. But if he had committed, you know, just because you've broken the law doesn't mean you're a suitable teacher. Mm. I think mm. it'd be good yeah. if we could start dealing with like people's anxiety around the way that people are suffering and this like going back to what we were saying before about like freedom fighters and this like be good to do like proper research and explore the social impacts this is having on people and and if if there is possible treatments the, the problem genuinely fearful they are fearful enough to go out and protest there are people who are being intubated by nurses in America who still don't believe that they've got COVID. Yes. Yeah. And because COVID is a lie. Mm. Yeah. And so doesn't that mean we are missing something and we aren't tackling that side of things? You know, as oh, sorry, Trevor, I, 
I forgot to forward on to you. Did you see the report of uh, YouTube influencers who'd been approached by a an advertising company and uh, asked? I've seen that a few weeks ago where they okay. offered goodies if they were to promote things. and Offered so, money. Yeah, and some of these influencers did a bit of homework about who this organisation was and and it all looked a bit bogus and weird and ended up at Russian sort of websites or something like that. So to their credit, a number of influencers said no. Yes. Mm. But it's interesting to see, uh, and there's been the anti-lockdown protests were being organised out of Germany, and I yeah. believe the intelligence community is investigating links to foreign governments. Mm. Just when you were so, talking, sorry, just I was going to say, there's a question of uh, whether this is deliberate disinformation. It's mm. a lot of that going around. But Jay, you were talking about just people just not believing the truth as such, I think, is what you're kind of getting at with, like, this guy, this... Like, for example, this teacher, based on his comments, truly thought he was correct factually about things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this... I've got a story here from Vice, which isn't the world's greatest source, but they claim that they contacted this person and verified the information. So, so you know, it's not the world's greatest source for this story, but it's a good story and it's frightening if it's true and it just might be true. So Bill's final semester at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida was already difficult enough. He was part of the final graduating class of survivors of the 2018 shooting and they had all just marked the third anniversary of the day 17 people were killed, nine of whom were Bill's classmates. But Bill had to deal with his father's daily accusations that the shooting was a hoax and that the shooter, Bill, and all his classmates were paid pawns in a grand conspiracy organised by some shadowy force. Poor Bill says he'd say stuff like this straight to my face whenever he's drinking. He'd say, you're a real piece of work to be able to sit here and act like nothing ever happened if it wasn't a hoax. Shame on you for being part of it and putting your family through it too. And Bill did this post and, as I say, can't guarantee exactly 100% this is a true story, but quite possibly a parent of a kid who witnessed a school shooting and saw all his classmates killed just denying it ever happened. Mm. It's imaginable that it is true, unfortunately. Mm. Have you yet watched Beyond the Curve? No, what's that? It's about flat earthers. Right. And so they're they're searching for the truth. They they you know they they really truly want to know the truth, mm. and they perform an experiment, and the experiment gives them the answer that the Earth is round, mm. and they are frantically searching for reasons why the experiment failed because it didn't give them the answer that they expected. Rather than accepting it and moving on, mm. it was the levels that these people will go to to keep hold of a belief that is so so much a part of them. Mm. And I don't think that there's anything you could do to change their minds. And this is the problem mm. with yeah. the, 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 the COVID deniers is even if you gave them COVID, even if they couldn't breathe, 
they would still think that it was something else. There's nothing you could do that could prove to them that COVID was real and is is that has the impact that it does. Some of them turn around. Some of them say, oh, I was wrong. But you're right, there are still a number who are dying on their deathbed and it's so sad for the medical staff to witness as these people still continue to refuse to acknowledge that it's COVID that's got them at the end of the day. And the people that care about them. Yeah. Yep. Mm, Tough. That have really tried to reason with them, tried a whole range mm. of things. I think there is a mental health aspect. Mm. It's a totally baseless, but... Mm. I just think people are really anxious and really suffering um, for certainty. Yeah. BBC actually interviewed the son of a well-known UK conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. who has her own YouTube channel with you know thousands of followers, mm-hmm. uh, and he was saying, I just can't talk to her anymore. Hanrahan, who is like a war correspondent, he's been into lots of dangerous places. He's doing episodes, like he's become quite alarmed and been doing a lot of research on QAnon. So he does a weekly podcast as well. So like for it to garner attention from someone like him, who's been in all sorts of, you know, frightening situations to be alarmed enough to be doing that. It's just like, woo. Is he debunking the, the, yeah, he called it Q clearance as kind of like a joke. Right. Each week he takes a different angle. So he kind of explains to, you know, ordinary humans about like, So, for instance, one of the things I didn't know about QAnon is that there is a utopia, so they will get to the other side and then they'll all be, you know, ridiculously wealthy. So I didn't know last week he did an episode on how it's really gaining traction in Japan. QAnon is? Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. So Mm -hmm. just saw this meme that said the irony of of anti-vaxxers saying they don't want to be part of an experiment is that without realising it, they are now part of the control group. There we go. You'd like that, Joe? <laughs> yes. They are indeed. <laughs> and can't we just show them that? <laughs> that meme alone. Now, would you like to vote anti-vax in an upcoming election? Because, dear listener, you've got lots of opportunity if you wish to. Sadly. The party. <laughs> sadly, there are lots. So... Kicking off with Clive Palmer in the United Australia Party, the billionaire magnate has been letterboxing and running radio advertisements with misleading messages about the safety of vaccines. So that's uh, one choice for you if you want to vote anti-vax. You could go for the Informed Medical Options Party. Mm. Uh, Alarm bells ring when you hear that title, uh, the Informed Medical Options Party. They've been active in organising the anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown protests since the start of the pandemic. Look for them on your Senate ballot sheet. Pauline Hanson's One Nation, so she's towed the line of not being explicitly anti-vaccine while adopting messaging used by anti-vaccine campaigners. So Pauline's a bit of a dog whistler when it comes to these uh, anti-vaccine things. Not outright saying it, but using all of the right terminology and phrasing. There's another group. Reignite Democracy Australia. So they're anti-vaccine, anti-mask and COVID denialist group born out of Victoria's 2020 lockdowns that has links to mainstream conservative politicians. It's nice to see nutbag groups coming out of Victoria and not just Queensland. Relight the fire or light the fire or whatever his name was. We've had our fair share, I agree, but it's just nice to read. Oh, no, that was Victoria. Oh, 
Bronwyn in the chat room on behalf of all Victorians, would you like to defend, you know, you call us hicks up here. It seems like you're generating your fair share of nonsense down there. There's the Great Australia Party, recruited conspiracy theorist superstar Pete Evans as a candidate. That's the Great Australia Party. Its policies take cues from anti-vaxxers, men's oh, rights. Paleo Pete. Yes, Paleo Pete. And they're into anti-vaxxers, men's rights activists, sovereign citizen movement, but they faced a recent oh, yes. setback as the ANC threatened to deregister because they were unable to prove they had 500 members. And then you've got people like Craig Kelly who will be an independent. You've got fringes of the coalition such as George Christensen, Alex Antic, Erica Betts, Matt Canavan, Jared Rennick who have all flirted with messages and policies popular with anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of opportunity there if you'd like to vote anti-vax in an upcoming election. What else have I got here? Uh, so Rise Up Australia was the party I was thinking of. Right. Which was a Melbourne preacher. Yes. With a Catch the Fire Ministries or something. It eventually got dissolved, but he was in hot water for some, I can't remember what okay. it was. But So Rise Up so they, Rise Up eventually went down, did it? Basically. <laughs> but, but yeah, there, there are not job Victorian political parties is what I'm saying. Come on, Bromman, you're still there. Somebody defend Victoria because we're just going to bag him mercilessly if we get the chance. Yeah. Oh, Bromman says the guy you're thinking of is Danny Nalia. Prize moron. Yeah. There we go. Okay. In the New York Times, there's an, there's an article here by Alan McLeod about a New York Times and basically saying that the New York Times has bagged the Chinese vaccines and so the New York Times has relied on innuendo to discredit China. Its headline reading, they relied on Chinese vaccines, now they're battling outbreaks. And the article profiled a trio of countries, Bahrain, Mongolia and the Seychelles, that had bought and administered Sinopharm and Sinovac. But in saying that instead of freedom from the coronavirus, all three countries are now battling a surge in infections. But what the Times did not inform readers was that the vast majority of serious or deadly cases in those countries happen to unvaccinated individuals. And gives a sort of expose that it was really a hit job by the New York Times on these vaccines, which are not so bad or not so unusual and that they're just your run-of-the-mill vaccine based on the normal principles. And when an institution like the New York Times bags a Chinese vaccine, then that just transfers over to create vaccine hesitancy amongst Americans for their own vaccines when they hear those stories. So they're... Their willingness to be so anti-China and pick on the Chinese vaccine has other effects that might not be so good. So that was that. YouTube banned Sky News for a week because it was a spreader of coronavirus misinformation. Can you not see the tears on my cheeks? <laughs> Cry me a river. Yeah. Right. They've been creeping up on my YouTube feed, and I don't know how because my algorithm's got to be not interested in Sky News, so I'm glad. If you just hesitated over a Sky News live stream of a 
of a you know the Ever. chief health officer no, no. reports or any like never have never watched one of those or this displaying well, things that you, get you angry actually gets you more engaged mm. and keeps you on YouTube for longer. They're very clever. They've got a very very clever YouTube sort of thing happening. So you know that's good. At least they're off the airs. YouTube clearly cares about us. At least for the next seven days until they let them back. I've been listening to the Chaser. You know how I often quote the Chaser report for their headlines and mm-hmm. fake stories? They've got a great podcast. Did you know that? No. Nope. Absolutely. It's great. It's almost daily. It's like 20, 25 minutes. Dear listener, I highly recommend um, checking out the Chaser podcast. Is it all satire or is it yes. actually news? A little bit okay. of news, mostly satire, but really good, right. fun stuff. You'll... Uh, Listeners to this podcast will love it. So, yeah, the Chaser podcast recommended. You were talking about a social media person who had a lot of influence. Were we just talking about that earlier or maybe it was in the chat room? But, yeah, the chat room. Yeah. There's a guy called Joseph McCola and <sighs> he he's is, He's been known amongst skeptics for many years. Yeah. He is... Natural news or one of those, he sells snake oil, basically. He makes He's a millionaire because mm. of the anti-science and anti-medicine that he sells. Mm. Yes. So he's published over 600 articles on Facebook that cast doubt on COVID-19 vaccines. And his claims have been widely echoed on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And he's part of the Disinformation Dozen, a list of 12 people responsible for sharing 65% of all anti-vaccine messaging on social media. So this is the theory that this Dirty Dozen, including this Dirty Dr. Dirty Dr. McCullough, are responsible for 65% of the anti-vaccine messaging that originates with these guys and then just washes around the internet with other people sharing and passing it on, which is interesting that 12 people can have that and, effect. And Facebook won't count the misinformation against them once it's been reshared. Right. Okay. So if he shares it to a 1,000 people and they then share it on and it becomes a million views, mm. they only count the 1,000 people who viewed it originally right. against him. Okay. So what else have we got? So he's a pioneer in the anti-vaccine movement. He's a master of capitalising on periods of uncertainty. And what he does is does lots of A-B experiments in terms of posts. He's incredibly keen on how things go viral. He's got all these people working for him, posting stuff, and he creates this uh, fear and uncertainty and then shuffles people off to his new age medicine solutions and makes a fortune from it and that's the sort of characters one of the sort of characters floating around on the internet david wolf was another one that mm. i haven't seen recently but lots of people he had very inspirational messages that lots of people shared far and wide and then you went and followed him and got exposed to all sorts of pseudoscience bullshit right mm. right 
right. Craig in the chat room says, I, spe- I suspect Joe and I frequent similar Skeptic Groups podcasts. Sounds like he's on your, you're on the same book list by the looks of it. What else have we got in the chat room? Alan Jones. Yeah, Alan Jones. I don't, what is it with, what's the motivation for a guy like Alan Jones to be so, you know, pro-hydroxychloroquine and anti-vaccine and, what? I think the Andy. Isn't it like, oh, who's the American who got sued for the Sandy Hook shootings? Yeah, Alex Jones. Yeah, um, who said it's a character he plays. Basically, it gets him more views, more listens. Yep. So it's actually nothing to do with ideology. It is just he knows it'll be popular and mm. therefore it's eyeballs. I, I, I can't speak to his heart. But certainly it's a it's a winning solution, isn't it? Yeah. I think the other part of it is that these guys just have a, an aversion to collective action where we are trying to get people to act collectively in the goodwill of the community and they just see the danger in that in what it might lead to in other areas that they don't want that to happen. There's a little bit of that in there as well. But I think you're right, Joe. It's just It's just numbers. And they know that they will get the viewership, and they've got a contract that will reward them the more viewers they have. And saying the most outrageous things will just get them more of those eyeballs. I think you're probably right. Good explanation. Let's see. Okay. What else do I have here? In terms of traveling now, it's difficult to leave Australia. It's not easy. You've got to be, you can only qualify. Earning over a million dollars a year. Yeah. Well, uh, a Liberal Party member. <laughs> Technically, according to the government, you can only qualify for essential overseas travel if your travel is part of the response to the COVID-19 outbreak, including the provision of aid, if it's for your business or employer, if you are travelling to receive urgent medical treatment not available in Australia, if you're travelling on compassionate or, compel- or compelling grounds, you're travelling for urgent or unavoidable personal business. Your travel is in the national interest. It's just hard to see how Brian and Bobby Houston could mm. find a reason to head to Mexico and do some preaching amongst that stuff there. Business. Business, yeah. Yep, maybe it's for your business. Be the only one. Well, you know, you know, Jesus doesn't sleep during a pandemic. It's very important to uh, spread the word. Oh, yeah, he, he's not asleep at the wheel. No. Finally, finally, let me get this one up on the screen as well. Which this is a table. The number of close friendships that Americans have has declined over the past several decades. On the left-hand side in dark blue is 2021 and on the right-hand side in the lighter blue is 20 years ago, 1990. And it's asking sort of their bands there of how many friends have you got? Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six to nine, ten or more. And 20 years ago, people just had more friends. And you can look at the table and it'll be in the show notes. But essentially 10%, I think, of – I think these are in 10% gradients. Let me just see. I think that's 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12%. 12
12% of them say that they have no friends, whereas previously that was only three. And only 13% have 10 or more friends, whereas previously 33%. It's a striking figures that the number of friends people have in America has declined rapidly. So more than one in 10 Americans reports having no friends at all. And the sad part is that people see this as just normal now. So mm. it's an interesting statistic. We don't see these things for Australia. There's always American stuff that I find for this. But, yeah, the number of friends people have is rapidly declining. That can't be good. A, a lot of psychology research is weird. So Western, educated, industrial, rich, something. Can't remember what it stands for. Yeah. But the, there's an argument that a lot of the psychological papers and effects may not replicate across cultures. Right. Because because the easiest uh, group to experiment on are university students who are beholden on their professors for a pass and therefore volunteer for experiments. Yes. The sort of people who are going to be hanging around a university that a psychology honours student yeah. can grab. Yes, don't represent. That's true. Don't know where that came from. I should maybe look that up. But Australia is reporting being lonely, though, aren't mm. they? I don't know. This was a survey of 2,000 US adults. The Gallup survey was conducted over the telephone. So anyway, that's mm -hmm. where I came across that one. And finally, remember we spoke about how there were the US Catholics were saying, well, these politicians who believe in abortion law, we should withhold the Eucharist and not allow them to have the body and blood of Jesus anymore. So the church official who'd denied, who wanted to deny Biden, uh, Joe Biden communion has recently resigned in a sex scandal. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Oh, God. Mm. Caught on grinder. Mm. <laughs> mm. Oh, hypocrisy. All right. Well, that's an hour and a half. Where about what's happened in the chat room? Roman, type in, can we predict the limits of SARS-CoV-2 variants and their phonetic consequences into Google? First result. Do these numbers include imaginary friends? What is that about? That's the title of the paper, I'm guessing. What are we going to uh, see? I can't copy it. All right. I can't copy it either, can I? What happens when you Google it? Well, I'm just trying to find the Sage link. Right. Because uh, Sage is the UK Government Advisory Board okay. of well, Scientists. While you're looking on that, I'll just riff about next yeah. week briefly, which is next week. Wednesday is a public holiday in Brisbane, for the show holiday for the show that's just been cancelled. We could still be in lockdown. Don't know what's going to happen Thursday is the big day, court case. I have been, I've never spent so much mental energy on so few words, but the words religious denomination or society, basically I've been pondering them so heavily in the last few days, my head hurts and I wake up at night at two in the morning and I go, oh, religious denomination, what does it mean? And I, I, I switch where I go, I think I've got it, I think I've got this case, I am going to win 
And then I read a bit more and I go, mm, actually, that wasn't so good. Maybe I'm not going to win. And then I read something else and I go, yeah, I've definitely got it. So that's all happening Thursday next week. And court cases keep going, lockdown or no lockdown, provided one of the main players like me doesn't become sick with COVID or something, it'll, it'll happen. Lots of media interest is happening. We, I don't think I'll podcast Tuesday night. I've just got too much happening in my head. But if successful, we may not even know the result on Thursday because the judge might just say, I'm going to reserve my decision and tell you about it in a few weeks' time. So we may not know. But I think next week will probably be a a live stream on the Thursday night where I will talk about what happened as best as I can. And there may even be a film crew in here as well with frogs with me and so just don't know so it's scary it's tricky it's stressful and i can't wait for it actually to be over to tell you the truth because i've had enough of it it's just all consuming isn't it and anyway rest assured giving it the best shot i can and i've had some good help from some pro bono barristers and i've got to lodge something tomorrow which is basically my final legal submission, and and we will see what happens on the day. It'll be a very interesting, memorable moment in the life of Trevor Bell. And my when I eventually pass away and the eulogies are written, I'm sure there'll be a few words made about whatever happens about Thursday next week and the result of it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I don't know whether it'll be look. Keep an eye on the Facebook page if it's possible to live, if the court streams it or, or if there's news, we'll post something there. So so anyway, we'll see what happens, but that's exciting and scary at the same time. So very interesting. Joe, did you manage to see what happens when you Google that thing? What what that Bromman mentioned? Was there anything obvious? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I found the paper. Right. Uh, and sorry, other side, this side. That's yeah. the QR code. Which should take you directly to the paper. Right. And what is it? Right. What is is this paper? It's a paper by a bunch of UK scientists. Yeah. Talk about. Talk about. Joe's face. Right. (laughs) Talk about possible long-term evolution of COVID. One hypothesis is, for example, with similar comorbidity mortality to other zoonotic coronaviruses, such as SARS-CoV, which has 10% case fatality, or MERS-CoV, which has a 35% case fatality, which is where they're getting the one in three dying. Okay. So So they're saying it's possible that it might in the future evolve to be this. Right. Okay. It's getting scarier. Okay. So, all right. Well, dear listener, we're done and dusted for another episode. Keep an eye on the Facebook page. Probably appear in a newspaper or two on Thursday next week, no matter what the results. And we'll possibly live stream Thursday night, possibly with Robin. Fingers crossed it all goes well. Talk to you then. Bye for now. Good luck. Bye. And it's a good night from him. It's 5.30am, a a chilly negative five degrees on a Beijing street. And the pollution, it's pretty awful. But this morning's going to be okay. Last night, I got to download the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast. So this morning on the bus, not only will it be nice and warm, but I'll have the pleasure 
of the company of the fist, the glove, maybe right-wing Tony, maybe 12th man, maybe squeaky wheel, who knows? Anyway, guys, thanks for making this morning's bus ride a little nicer.